name is Matt Tanner, and this is Franchisees United. Welcome to episode three of the Franchisees United podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tanner. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming on Andrew Blyman. Andrew represents franchisees and franchisors across the country and is considered one of the nation's leading franchise attorneys, according to the Franchise Times. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, man. So happy to be here. We, we, we're glad that you're here. I actually just recently, I didn't even know that you guys had an office in Boca. We do. We, we have a satellite office. Our partner comes down here much of the year and it's just up the road, but happy to be down in Florida. Uh, beats the Chicago weather. And yeah, what's the temperature like in Chicago right now? <laughs> actually, they just had a uh, they just had a record sixty two on Christmas Day. So <laughs> people were jet skiing. Yeah, that's actually insane. I was expecting <laughs> it to be like fifteen degrees. It's, it's, it's getting it's going to get very cold. I'm yeah. sure through April. So this but. is one of my first December's in Florida, and it's like seventy five. What's it today? Like seventy five degrees or something. It's it's incredible. But, that's why a thousand uh, people a day are moving to Florida. That's true, and it's it's good to be in the real estate business. We're actually we're trying to run ads up where you live, <laughs> and we're running ads in uh, in New York and Pennsylvania, all up north. We're actually literally running ads trying to get people to move down to South Florida, just because of weather and income taxes. So those are our two our two. A uh, lot of points. people are listening. So, but uh, yeah, I kind of wanted you know we're very excited to have you on the show today, mainly because you know. Obviously, my background is growing up in franchises, and I've seen a lot of franchisees over the years that work with just any regular attorney, whether it's reviewing their leases or their franchise agreements and documents. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about the difference between what you and Justin and Marks and Klein do as franchise attorneys versus just any other attorney. So I guess, can you talk to us a little bit about what you do day to day and what differentiates you from a, any other attorney, essentially? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, Marks and Klein and, and our practice is concentrated on franchising, uh, representing franchisees and smaller emerging franchisors, I would say. Um, we're business lawyers uh, with a concentration in franchising. A franchise is obviously a business. There's nuanced laws and rules related to franchising that we have a firm grasp of and you know we've seen hundreds of franchise agreements franchise disclosure documents so we're well versed in what's in the document and then also very importantly sometimes what's not in the document or what's not said in these documents and what that means so we try to help franchisees get um, uh, an understanding and be able to walk into these opportunities with eyes wide open because buying a franchise is not like any other business. And I've been doing franchise work since approximately 2003. I started practicing in 1998 and <clears throat> both on the franchise or on the franchisee side. And we know a lot of the brands and systems and have seen the trends and, and whatnot in franchising. So um, what we try to do is, is get franchisees, prospective franchisees educated on here's what your rights, obligations, responsibilities are. Here's what the franchisor's rights, obligations, uh, liabilities are and, and, and try to allow people to firmly grasp this because it's not like owning another business. It's so much different, right? And there's, 
there's so much there's so much involved with franchise law and, and what can and cannot be disclosed and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, I've done a lot of franchise agreements over the last few years and, you know, I'm very familiar. But to people that are just getting involved into their first franchise or maybe even entering a new brand, what are some of the things that you think that they should look for? whether it's in the franchise disclosure document or the franchise agreement, what are some of the things they should like look out for or look for essentially? It's a great question. And, you know, what we try to counsel and advise um, clients on, and it's, it's not necessarily legal advice, but it's more, I think, business and practical advice is, you know, looking at the opportunity, looking at the brand, understanding what the investment is, understanding what the return on investment might be, and trying to get as much information and do as much due diligence on that as possible. You may have, uh, quite frankly, a, a, a lackluster brand or a, a brand that's not too appealing, um, yet it may be highly profitable and lucrative given what the investment is and given what the uh, opportunity is moving forward, whereas you may have a much more um, high-profile brand and the margins may be very, very thin. And the and markets the cost, might be saturated, right? Markets might be saturated. The cost to get in may be very uh, significant. So it's really important to understand, you know, what's that ROI, return on investment, going to look like? How much can I put into this and what might I earn? Now, not every franchisor discloses that information in item 19 if, if, if they're going to talk about uh, income, gross revenue, profitability, things of that nature, it would be in item 19 of the franchise disclosure document. But not, franchisors are not required to incorporate that. So you can find that information out from other franchisees if they'll provide it. Mm -hmm. um, but not every franchisee will obviously tell you what their, their information is. But really having a good understanding of what you might earn um, and what the opportunity is. Like I said, you know, if, if in market saturation, to your point, mm -hmm. if you're going to be able to put one unit in an area, um, you know, that may not be as attractive as getting another or having an opportunity, pursuing another opportunity with another brand where you could put 5, 10, 15 locations up. Because as right. a franchisee, it really... Um, as I tell most clients, franchising is different things to different people. You can, you can buy a job, which is perfectly acceptable and fine for many people. And that's right. what they're looking for. You can, you can buy a business and have five, 10, 15, 20 locations. Or now, I mean, literally there's publicly traded franchisees mm -hmm. that have hundreds or thousands of units and, you know, you, you, you have a very, very large corporation at that point or large company. So, you know, when, when you look at these opportunities, it can be a different thing for a different person. And understanding what your goals and desires are is important. You know, some of these brands, some opportunities, the average unit volumes may only be three, four or five hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, could be less. I mean, it, you know, a lot of the hair cutting salons, you know, you may be in the two to $300,000 range. Right. So understanding what you want and what you're pursuing is important. And then obviously if you have profitable units, um, 
and you have multiple, you know, 10 or 20 of them, you know, you can, you can obviously make a lot of money. For sure. So, you know, it's funny you say, cause you know, there's so many different types of franchisees I've seen over the years, and I'm sure you've come across so many different mindsets, if you will, because there's the owner operator mindset where, like you said, a franchisee is basically buying themselves a job essentially, which, you know, is obviously probably preferred to them versus just working as a salary as a salary position elsewhere. Um, and then there's also the mindset of really, you know, getting into a brand and building a portfolio, like you said. So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of differences between those, those two mindsets. Um, and, you know, from what I've seen across the years from, from so many different franchise owners is franchisees that want to either be complacent and just stick with one one location or the complete opposite and they're growing too quickly. And I've also seen franchisees that are willing to get into new brands or even brands that are doing well, but then they go into a new market and take the risk and then they don't do well because there's no brand awareness. So have you seen that over the years and what, what are your thoughts on what franchisors should be doing to make sure a franchisee is successful in a new market? Well, it, it franchisors generally um, don't commit to doing a lot in the franchise agreement. Okay. Um, you know, the, their obligations are not uh, to make you successful. Really, it's on the franchisee to ensure and to make their own success. So, what are they? What are they required <clears throat> to provide? Franchisors yeah. generally, uh, they will loan you the. Manual. They will assist with site selection. They will train you. Um, they will uh, visit and inspect you if they would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they are available to provide support and assistance. Right. Um, but there's really no mandatory obligation to do any of that. What you'll see though is a lot of franchisors who are uh, interested, invested in the success of. The franchisees will do a lot more than that, even though they're not contractually required to do so with regard to marketing and with regard to uh, operations and and training. And and they'll go above and beyond what the agreement says. But if you really look at the agreements, there aren't a a lot of affirmative obligations on the part of franchisors. And that's really standard in franchising. It's not anything that, you know, if you're looking at a franchise agreement or a franchise disclosure document and you see this type of language, it's pretty uniform that that's the language you'll see whether right. you know, you're in a sub sandwich shop or a service business or a, an auto you know, motive repair, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, understanding that when you're on your way in and then talking to other franchisees and then getting comfortable with the franchisor who you are investing with to see, you know, what are they doing for franchisees? Are they committing marketing dollars to new markets to really help drive brand awareness? Or are you responsible for local marketing on your own? What does the infrastructure of the franchisor look like? You know, how many people do they have? You know, some franchisors are home offices are very lean. Yeah. You know, there aren't a lot of people even working for the franchise or they have a lot of outside consultants or 
uh, the resources are you seeing available. more and more of that as a trend today or is it the opposite I'd say more and more today you know there's a lot of new emerging brands that are very lean that that you know use various consultants and advisors and don't have a very significant home office except for a couple of few individuals and and really understanding what they're going to do what they've done for other franchisees to help build the markets but what I always tell clients is don't sit back and rely on, and not to be cynical but right. you, you don't sit back and rely on the franchisor I mean you have to be prepared to do this you have to be prepared to do the marketing put in the hours you know spread the word get involved with the community drive brand awareness yourself absolutely and you know if, if you're not prepared to do that probably no one will be doing that because right. when you're talking about the development of new markets and particularly where you have a franchisee who's committing to build three, five, seven, ten locations, whatever it is, you know, the franchisor is really looking to that group, that person to do that market development for the franchisor. Right, for sure. And I've seen, you know, a lot of franchisees that that open in different areas and then they're, you know, they, they rely on the franchisor so much. And, you know, franchisors are very clear that it's up to you as a franchisee to make your your operation successful like they can only do so much they can give you the blueprint and the recipe but the, it's up to the franchisee to generate success for their business and i've seen you know over the years a lot of franchisees that will go back to the franchisor and when they're not doing well in particular and either renegotiate royalties or marketing is that something you're seeing across the industry at times and is that are you seeing it more with 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 band with brands that are more established or are you seeing it with brands that are you know up and coming truthfully <laughs> it, it the franchisors really won't negotiate or renegotiate the royalty you know i mean but perhaps they, they might provide relief at times right potentially yeah. i wouldn't hold my breath for that i mean i think i'd look for other ways right. um for the franchise or to provide support, like you mentioned, marketing, for sure. marketing dollars, other resources, advertising, collateral, um, assistance with operations, or right. you know, people coming into the store to help in that regard. Things that aren't going to cost the franchise or money yeah. are more likely to be um, provided than you know asking them not to take their their royalty uh, right. every week. Now, you know, obviously, if you have a store that can't financially support right. the royalties and the marketing and everything else, yeah, brands will work with franchisees to try and uh, do something to help them mm -hmm. and to you know avoid the store from closing. Um, but it's not something that. Uh, they have to do obviously and it's probably a last resort um, but you know you're never gonna get anything you don't ask for that's, and, that's one thing and, I've learned and, in life yeah and <laughs> so you know I, depending on the situation you know keeping stores open and operational is important to franchisors yeah. and depending upon <clears throat> the franchisor you know, a new emerging brand that's trying to make it is probably more likely to make some concessions and do something because 
you know, the success of the early units is going to be critical for them to get to the 100, 200, 500 unit mark. If the right. first several can't get out of the gate, it's going to sure. be very hard for them to grow because right. um, there isn't going to be anyone there to do the validation. But if, if you know, you have a more long-standing established brand, they probably have a line of people waiting to either take over take the unit in. or buy a new unit and develop it. So you probably have a little less leverage in that situation. For sure. And that makes sense. And, you know, I, I always believe, I mean, obviously franchisors with fran and franchisees, it's just a partnership at the end of the day. And obviously the franchisor wants the franchisee to be successful because that's how they're successful. So, you know, but I definitely agree with you. And I've seen, I've seen franchisees that will go back to the franchisor and ask for royalty relief at times, you know, out of desperation. That's, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you if you've seen yeah. it commonly. We, we, we've definitely seen it. I wouldn't say it's common. Okay. Um, and, you know, most of the time it's not you know, a waiver, it's more of like an abatement, like you still, we're going to accrue the balance, but you just don't have to pay it yet. Um, or some type of a payment plan or just reduced... cash flow. Exactly. <clears throat> gotcha. So I guess let's kind of pivot a little bit here. You know, I want to talk about what you and Justin at Marks and Klein, what you guys do for, you know, how you take on a franchisee client versus a franchisor. We've talked a lot about you know, how you guys help franchisees. Mm -hmm. um, why would a franchisor come to you guys, especially in the early stages? What type of support do you guys provide for them? We, we, we try to support franchisors um, in, in the same way, you know, that we support franchisees, attention to detail, you know, constant communication and, and, and uh, guidance. But really to try and help franchisors create their franchise program, mm -hmm. prepare the franchise disclosure document and ancillary agreements, and get them off the ground. Provide franchise uh, sales training. A, a franchise is, is a very nuanced sales process. There's lots of rules. There's things you can't say. Um, so what's what are some of the that? things that you can't say as a franchisor? It, it, you, you can't talk about numbers okay. that are different than what's in the franchise disclosure document. So item six is fees, item seven is initial investment, item 19 is the financial performance representations. You can't talk about numbers that differ at all from what you've disclosed publicly. So if you don't make an item 19 financial performance representation, you can't talk about revenues, expenses, costs, anything like that associated with the business unless it's in that in that FDD. Now, for purposes of helping a franchise or will help them prepare the franchise disclosure document that is used to sell franchises. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> every franchisee has to be provided with a franchise disclosure document. There's a waiting period before the franchisee can sign the franchise agreement. How long is that waiting period? <clears throat> Uh, 14 days, okay. essentially. I mean, there's nuanced rules, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> like the, there, there, there's a waiting period. So yeah. um, <clears throat> the the overall, um, we try to help counsel and advise them on the creation of the, the program, the implementation of the sales plan, and then support them as they're moving forward in selling franchises and signing franchise agreements with candidates. So ultimately... Um, the, the franchise disclosure document, because of the limitations of what you can say and, and 
and how you can say it, um, is the sales tool that franchisors need to use to sell franchises really all that they have um, <clears throat> to, to use to, to try and sell. So um, working with franchisors <clears throat> is uh, uh, obviously uh, different than working with franchisees, right. but, but generally speaking, you know, franchisors, particularly emerging franchisors, um, I think using us have the benefit of our experience of working with franchisees in terms of, you know, what franchisees may object to or be concerned about and trying to uh, come up with reasonable middle grounds on some of those issues in connection with the preparation of the documents so that there isn't a lot of back and forth negotiation with the franchisees, particularly the early franchisees on the terms of the franchise agreement. So we try to bring that balanced approach right. to the franchisors, and I think it's beneficial. Yeah, and it seems like it's just so important to get it right from the beginning, from the franchisor side. It, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, the first franchisees are critical to the development and growth of the system. And I know that's an obvious thing to say, but right. it gets sometimes lost on franchisors because franchisors are very eager to sell franchises yeah. and to, to grow. And it's, it's very important early on to be um, selective mm -hmm. and not just sell to anybody because, you know, if, if those, like I said earlier, franchisees right. kind of trip up out of the gate, it's going to be very difficult to find the sixth, seventh, 20th franchisee sure. if the first few don't work out. Yeah. I mean, the failure rate is obviously important <clears throat> for franchisors. Do they have to disclose that? Well, in, in item 20, mm -hmm. uh, there's tables that talk about openings, closures, terminations, renewals, things of that nature. And so you can glean from the numbers that are in there who's in the system, who's left the system, or I should say how many, but there also are franchisee lists that need to be included in the FDD and franchisees who've left in the last 12 months have to be disclosed. So there's, you can piece together the information again, I think earlier you we talked about kind of, you know, a, a, what a franchise attorney looks for and can glean from the documents you know, reading the item 20 table, understanding item 19 and whether it's in there and what's in there versus what's not, you know, those are the types of things that we have experience with that, you know, a general attorney may not really understand what they're looking at when they're looking at these tables. Right. And I'm telling you, I've honestly been surprised the amount of times I've come across a franchisee that is just using a typical attorney or a regular attorney <clears throat> to review documents and from when, I, when I've talked to them, they their attorneys just pretty much redlined like the entire thing. So t tell me about that process when you guys are looking over documents for a franchisee. Is it? T I mean, I, from my understanding, a lot of these things aren't really negotiable anyways. So is there a lot of time put into, you know, redlining or negotiating or any of that, or is it is it something that it's like, look, these are the terms do you guys like as a franchisee, do you like it or do you not? And is it more just about advising them and 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 explaining to them what they're signing up for? I, the answer I think is yes. Um, it, it is 
advising them and going through the documents and and educating them so that they understand what a franchise relationship is and what they're getting into with eyes wide open and mm -hmm. you know while franchise agreements aren't negotiable there are items that certainly can be negotiated okay and so you know we do review the fdd we do review the franchise agreement um to to see if there's anything in there really that's out of the ordinary or, or something that you know isn't something we would normally see in a franchise agreement and then you know educating the franchisees on okay here's a disclosure in item eight that you know you're required to buy everything you need in connection with the operation of your outlet from their authorized vendors and suppliers you can't go on your right. own and buy it you know and, and educating them on that so that when they open on day one what do you mean i need to go through them to buy X, Y, and Z, I can go down the street and get it for cheaper. So, you know, having franchisees understand that right. before they get in is important. Now, <clears throat> when we review these documents, we do look to see, you know, are there things that uh, aren't customary uh, or not customarily seen in, in these types of documents? And then we might pursue negotiation of some of those items. Now, Generally speaking, the initial franchise fee, the royalty, um, the marketing contributions, these are things that are not negotiable items. But right. when you get to territory and when you get to some of the renewal rights or issues and when you get to some of the uh, re-imaging or remodeling or system upgrade type uh, language, there can be potentially caps or limitations on that. Obviously, if you're a franchisee and you're putting $500,000 into your outlet, you don't want them coming back 12 months later and saying, you know what, we're deciding to change everything. You got to spend another $150,000. Right. So trying to incorporate some caps. Uh, obviously, every franchise agreement pretty much has full unlimited personal guarantees. Mm -hmm. you know, getting franchisee prospects and owners to uh, understand that going in, there's a lot of more sophisticated investors now getting into franchising. Right. Yeah. You know, they won't sign a personal guarantee for anything. Right. I mean, they've, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, and and now uh, uh, this franchisor who they could buy and sell a hundred times over right. wants them to <laughs> sign a personal guarantee. That that out of the gate may be objectionable. So. Yeah having a negotiation around that or limiting perhaps the personal guarantee to non-competes or confidentiality trademarks, things gotcha. like that may be something that can be achieved. So looking at the documents, understanding who the prospective franchisee is, and then trying to work to find that uh, common ground, right. you know, for many franchisors, that'd be an unbelievable prospect to, to, uh, have be a franchisee sure. and, and be a point of validation with other franchisees. So, you know, they may be willing, the franchisor may be willing to make some accommodations. Right. To and have that, that type of person. Correct. Absolutely. So the one thing, you know, w one topic I wanted to talk about in the, I guess the franchise agreements is when, you know, obviously a lot of franchisees go into things with an exit plan. Like they're going in because they want to open, start the business. They want to build it but they're thinking down the road of an exit strategy. So I guess my question is, 
what are you seeing that's common as far as a transfer fee across the board? How does that vary between brands? And is there any time brands will be like, well, no, you can't transfer your business? The transfer fee varies. You know, we'll see very low $2,500, $5,000 to, you know, $35,000, $40,000. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, transfer fees, uh, you know, are an issue that come up as we do our reviews. Right. Typically, that's not something that we negotiate, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, because a lot can happen between the time when you know, you, you open to the time that you're ready to transfer it. And it's an issue that can probably be negotiated at the point in time when you're looking to transfer, you know, if, if, if you're giving the business away and it won't support a transfer fee and the franchisor wants you out and you want out, maybe there's a waiver of that fee. So, you know, there are certain instances when we've tried to negotiate it at, at the outset, but for the most part, it's not something that, that we'll try to negotiate. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it in one of the recent brands I sold out of. I saw it percentage-based. And it's right. not something I that, it's that's, not something I realized until I went to sell the business. And then I was blown away. Yeah. Because that was the first time I saw a franchisor do it percentage-based. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, I thought it was pretty, pretty genius on their end. Because... You know, if you're a franchisor and you have a successful franchisee or operator that's really grown the business, it almost de-incentivizes them to sell it. Because if you sell for a big number, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're paying three or five or six percent of that gross amount, which right. to me was very interesting. I never saw that until recently. And that's one we would try to negotiate to <laughs> a flat fee because yeah. you know you should be the beneficiary, the franchisee Absolutely. should be the beneficiary of yeah. their success, not you know, the franchisors, but, and, 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 you know, there really isn't a lot of work that the franchisor is putting in to approve a transfer. So that's one where we would probably try to, to set it at a flat fee. But, um, you know, are there instances when the franchisor has, uh, said no, absolutely. It happens all the time. Um, there's one, uh, brand that, you know, has a very broad right of first refusal mm-hmm. and and exercises on it often um, and to the point that they may exercise on it with your buyer and provide the right to buy to another franchisee who wasn't your buyer. Yeah. So now I'm glad you brought that up because that's an interesting <clears throat> topic. So so explain to our listeners what that is, that right of first refusal and how, how often you see a franchise where actually you know, stepping in and, and doing something with that right? The, the right is a broad right of first refusal. Pretty much every franchise agreement has one. Okay. And it, it basically says that the franchisor, if presented with a transaction by a franchisee, can either uh, buy the outlet on the same terms and conditions that the franchisee was selling it to the third party, right. or take that right and give assign it to who they want to be that buyer to step in and buy it from the franchisee in those same terms and conditions. So um, it, it brands are using it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is it more common for them to use it to give to a, a, a buyer of their choice 
I would I would think it'd be more common for that than they're not in the business of, of, of operating their individual stores, right? It's yes. I mean, most of the time it's used to transfer it to another franchisee, to preferred who they, operator. Yeah, or geographically, you know, okay. not somebody new. Um, but there's also times when, you know, if the price is too high, believe it or not, or you know, they don't think the buyer that you have is sufficient they won't exercise and they'll just reject and they'll say no you can't do it they may like the franchisee so much that they don't want the franchisee to leave the system and and there are broad provisions in the franchise agreement that give franchisors the right and that's one of the things we try to educate uh, franchisees on when they're getting into the business that this isn't like any other business, you know, if if you own your own sub shop and you want to sell it to somebody, no one's going to tell you yes or no, you can't do that. In a franchise, they can't. So, you know, having people understand that and, you know, typically when a rejection might occur, there's not a lot the franchisee can do about it because even a challenge to that um, rejection, uh, if you try to challenge that, by the time that is sorted out, your buyer's long gone, probably has another opportunity. So I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday, actually, in a Uh fitness concept. And, you know, their prospective buyer um, may or may not be uh, well-received by the franchisor. Mm -hmm. It's a current existing franchisee of the brand, but... They've made a little noise with the franchisor that we're not sure if this and franchisee expand anymore. They may not. We don't know yet. But yeah. you know, I had to explain there's a possibility that given kind of what's going on here with that franchisee and the brand, mm-hmm. um, we may go to them with this franchisee and they may say, you know what, she's co- you know, he or she's <laughs> causing too much trouble mm-hmm. and we don't want them to have more units. So, so what's the franchisees like? What are their options if they hit that roadblock? What are some of the options that they have? They, I mean, you can try to pursue a challenge to it, mm-hmm. um, but I'm assuming know, that costs a lot of time, costs and money, time and money. More realistic options is it just to find another buyer? Bear, bear down and keep <laughs> operating till you find somebody else. Really, okay. you know, unfortunately, that's some people get stuck in that. Yeah. In that situation. And, you know, they're, they're hopefully can be reasonable mm-hmm. minds on all sides that can talk about it and understand what the issues are and what the concerns are and try to overcome the objections and work through it right. from a business perspective. Um, you know, typically, you know, what I would say is, Look, you've got somebody that wants out. You got somebody that wants to grow. Mm-hmm. Let's help. Let's try to find Figure a way to transition the person that wants out. You don't want someone in your brand that doesn't want to be there and doesn't, right. you know, have and that's the passion. Like, that's for like it. the position you take directly with the franchisor. Correct for your clients. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting because you know I've I've seen it a lot and it's it's uh you know we I've personally seen it where you know a buyer is turned down or rejected and. You know, to me, it's like, you know, it's just about doing business with reasonable people. And like you said, if somebody wants out and somebody wants in, what's the best way to make it work? Right. That's right. So I think, uh, you know, 
you know what what I've learned is when you're when you're a franchisee, you're obviously playing their game, right? And that's something my brother always <laughs> says, as you know. But it's just you know very interesting. I think it's just important that franchisees are, are educated on what they're getting themselves into from day one. And I think that's why it's important for them to work with guys such as yourself and Justin that know what they're doing versus working with just any attorney because it's 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 not until the end until they realize oh that was a silly mistake that they could have fixed on the front end for mm-hmm. a couple thousand dollars right mm-hmm. and i think that's just very very important that franchisees understand you know no matter what brand or business they're getting into that they know what they're getting into and that from day 1 they understand what their options are when they do or if they do exit down the road essentially so right. i'm glad you, i'm glad you brought that up so but I guess let's, let's kind of wrap up here. Um, I guess one last thing. Um, what's one piece of advice? And I don't know if you got to give a legal disclaimer here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what's one piece of advice you would give to a franchisee that's just getting started or a franchisor that's launching their brand? And it can be anything. I, I think for a franchisee, it would be... Um, uh, maybe a little bit broader than one piece of advice, but it, it's it's understand what you're getting in, yourself into, understand the unit economics of the opportunity that you're pursuing, uh, you know, make sure that it, it fits with, and the opportunity fits with what you're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, like buying a job, buying a business, building an empire, that type of thing, and bring sufficient capital to this opportunity expect that you're not gonna get a paycheck for the next 12 18 24 months can you sustain what you need to do at home and your other lifestyle your life expenses without getting a paycheck so most of these newer opportunities that franchisees pursue uh, fail because of undercapitalization and you know people get involved, they're not cash flowing positive in the first three, six months. Well, I only thought it was going to take me X amount of money to get into this. Then they get desperate. They get down on the opportunity. They don't give it sufficient time to build itself up to a point of profitability. So, you know, if you've planned ahead and you've, and you've mapped it out with your performer and everything else, Mm -hmm. you know, you may not be desperate in month three when you're not bringing enough money home to pay the bills. So, you know, really sufficiently capitalizing. On the franchisor side, again, I think it gets back to, you know, properly validating your concept, you know, making sure that the ROI, the unit economics work um, before you roll it out to the masses, that you have a really firm grasp of the initial investment and the profitability that, you know, you can replicate this in other markets. And then uh, selecting the right partners early on that are going to help you get to your your goal and not just selling to anybody that walks in because they're interested, but that's really the, picking that's the right partner. That's the piece of advice right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to episode three of the Franchisees United podcast. Um, Andrew, what's the best way for someone to, to get in touch with you? 
probably by email, uh, andrew at markskline.com. That's andrew at m-a-r-k-s-k-l-e-i-n.com. You can also visit our website at www.markskline.com. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and and uh, look forward to hopefully participating in future podcasts as Franchisees United grows. And we're calling out Justin. Justin's (laughs) got to do the next one. All right. (laughs) And also, guys, if you visit our website, www.franchiseesunited.net, and you click on our legal services, you'll see Marks and Klein there where you can reach out to Andrew and Justin as well. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you.